And we've all been there. Just, I want you to think, we've all had this in common. What I'm going to talk about, at least in part. We've either had to do it, or someone did it to us. In all likelihood, it was both. If you're a parent, you've had to do it. If you're a parent, you've likely had it done to you by someone else. If you're a child, in that same way, definitely you've had it done to you. And so, by now, you're probably wondering, well, what is this? Because there's a lot of things that we know that are common to each and every one of us. Because we've all been children. You may not have all been parents. But we've all been through things. We've all had a job. It may have happened there as well. It may have happened in school. And that is confrontation. Uh, confrontation. It just sounds so terribly bad. But is it? Well, in some ways it can be, because we look at it as a negative. In fact, confrontation is defined, and I like the first part of it, to come face to face. To come face to face with. Because there's something that's happened. Maybe something you want to share as well. The first definition, I think, in Webster's was, especially with defiance or hostility. I wish to confront my accuser in a court of law. Another one was, in the other angle of it, looking at the defendant was confronted with incontrovertible evidence of his guilt. And then it's more of an encounter. You confront danger at every turn. Just been watching a show, a series, I've shared with it in the past, on the uh, History Channel, about surviving up in the Arctic. They confronted dangers. One man confronted wolves, a pack of five wolves, outside of his shelter. And they're living there with no types of weapons, virtually. I mean, he had a bow and arrow, some arrows. He made a spear that he whittled out of a log. But he didn't have a handgun, a rifle. He didn't have a means of going into a tight shelter that they couldn't get out, get him at. He was just in one that he built out of what was off the land. Then they had to confront the elements. And it was getting down to 40 below when the winter finally spent 100 days above the Arctic Circle. Had to confront a lot. Danger. But confront also means to bring together for comparison. Now, what does this have to do with us today in God's church? What does confrontation have to do in the Christian life? Well, as we read of what Paul's did in his preaching, and I guess I would say the preaching of all of the apostles, had a lot. Paul would say at the end of his ministry, he said to Timothy in chapter 2, or chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Oh, that sounds easy. Sounds good. Be ready in season and out of season. In good times and in bad, we typically say. But the next one is the confrontation aspect of it. Reprove. 
rebuke, and exhort. I think there's confrontation in each one of those. To reprove someone is you're trying to bring about a some level of correction. Saying, brother, that's not the way to do it. That's not what God wants us to live like. To rebuke them is they're openly living in defiance of something that maybe that God has said, and you're bringing a more stern level of confrontation to them. But even an exhortation is going to be that said, brothers and sisters, here's what God wants of us. It's a confrontation. And it is all about how we, what we do when we interact with someone about life and the gospel. I read a couple of things, one, a couple of things in the Bible that made me think of this, and then something that I read a long time ago by Larry West. It was an action newsletter, I think a, a publication of World Bible School. It was not this fancy, glossy one they do now. It was when it was in a newsprint type thing. And the article was simply titled, It Was Not Confronting Until It's Confronting. And what he was trying to do with that was to exhort us to consider our lives and our relationships with others. Especially those outside of Christ. And as he wrote the article, he said, it's not confronting until it's confronting. Your neighbors can see you get in the car on Sunday morning. You're dressed a little nicer. They know you're not going to work. It's After all, it's 8.30, 9 o'clock, and you're going somewhere on a Sunday morning. Hmm. Must be going to church. They wave. They smile, and you wave and smile at them as they're getting ready to go to the golf course, doing something in their yard. The fact that they know that you're going to church, he says, isn't confronting them with the reality of the gospel. And Jesus said, go make disciples of all the nations, right? Teaching that, baptizing them in the name of Jesus, of the, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. See, there is a world out there that we have to talk to. It's going to mean confronting. And that's exactly what Peter and those with him on Pentecost did. Acts chapter 2, Bill likes Acts chapter 2, he says, this is the fulcrum where it all starts. The Spirit of God was poured out upon all flesh, according to prophet Joel. Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and said, Men of, it, of Judea and all who get, live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. These men are not drunk as you suppose, it's only the third hour of the day. But this was what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And he goes on to tell them that, to inform them that they were thinking, what is going on here? I mean, they were hearing people talking their languages, saying things that they'd never thought of or heard about. Said, what, what is this that got their attention? And he's reminding them, and he says in verse 22, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him, in your midst, just as you yourselves know. I would say that's a pretty healthy confrontation. He wasn't being antagonistic or hostile in any way. He was just standing up boldly and proclaiming to them Jesus that God had validated, attested with miracles. He raised the dead. He healed the lame. He gave life to people that had issues of blood, a woman. Um, he turned water into wine. You think of all the miracles, and as we said in the last couple of weeks, I forget which sermon it was, that a miracle was that which 
It contravenes nature. It is a power that man cannot do. But Jesus did these things. The wonder is what goes on in the mind of the people. They go, wow. It is much more than going to the Grand Canyon the first time and going, wow. It is. What's going on here? But they were signs because they were pointing to Jesus and to God because as Nicodemus said in John chapter 3, we know that God is with you because no one could do these things if God wasn't, right? Now that's maybe a crude paraphrase. But you check out Nicodemus and Jesus' conversation in John chapter 3 and you'll see that it pretty much says that. Peter is confronting them. He says, goes on and he says, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up. So he confronted them again. And where am I going with this? It's not confronting until it's confronting. Peter couldn't have brought any of these people to Christ and nearly 3,000 were baptized into Christ on this day. But not just because he got up and said, oh, this is what Joel talked about. You're hearing us speak in other languages because God poured out his spirit. That wouldn't have changed their minds. No, he proved to them, as we would, if we would just read on in Acts chapter 2, that Jesus was the Christ. And he said, therefore, verse 36, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. He pointed the right at him and said, it was you. He's the Christ and you killed him. He is the promised Messiah, the hope of Israel, and you killed him. So now they're frightened. Because it says in verse 37, as Luke records for us, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Repent, each one of, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified... And kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. He had to keep nailing it down, hitting it over and over. I don't know how long the sermon took. Maybe it was until midnight. I don't know. But he kept on reminding them from the law and the prophets that it was Jesus, the Messiah of God. He kept exhorting them, change your ways, repent, be immersed, have your sins washed away, all those things. And nearly 3,000 did. Jesus was proclaimed. Now, where did Peter get his boldness? Well, some might say, well, it's from the Holy Spirit. It's Joel's prophecy. The Spirit of God. No. That gave him the ability to speak in languages he had never spoken in, that he didn't study, that he didn't know about. He got his boldness from Jesus. Because if we go through the life of Christ, we see that Jesus did the same thing with those who were his enemies. Enemies of the cross. He confronted his, the teachers, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees publicly. In, Ma in Matthew chapter 5, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you, they had one view of it. He said, you've heard that, but I say to you, this is what God intended. 
You've heard that it was said you should not commit adultery. But I say to you, if a man looks at a woman to lust for her, he's committed adultery in his heart. He talked to them about violating the word of God for the sake of their traditions. In chapter 15, as we talked about that, traditions. The dead faith of the living is what one has said. Traditionalism. Traditions are good. Traditionalism, and they were caught up in not tradition so much, but as traditionalism. Carrying on something because they thought it was all well and good and it would help people. Sometimes traditions will do that, but when we focus on the tradition and not on the ultimate goal, it hampers us. And he said, why do you transgress the commandment of God? Which is more important, the commandment of God or a tradition of man? Obviously, it's the commandment of God. And he confronted him with that. Jesus confronted his teachers publicly. He confronted them directly. They would try to trick him. And those were some of the woes that we would read about in Matthew 23. Woe to you hypocrites. They tried to just trip him up in so many ways. Brought him the coin one day. Shall we pay the tax or not? Let me see that coin in your pocket. Whose image is on it? Caesar's. Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's under God, that which is God's. Whoa. Didn't see that one coming. He confronted those who were not following the things of God. And one time, maybe on multiple, on a couple of times, but in John 2 we read about how he cleansed the temple. Because they were making the temple a den of thieves and not a house of prayers. God intended it. No, Jesus confronted them. The apostles were bold in their preaching and confronted them because they had been with Jesus. Because that's something else that we see in the book of Acts. As we flip over to Acts chapter 3 and we read of a time when Peter and John healed a man that was born lame. And when Peter and John are brought before the Sanhedrin council, it says this in chapter 4. That they recognized them as having been with Jesus. Verse 13, now they they observed the confidence of Peter and John, and they understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. They were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. They had confidence. And I want us to know we can have that same confidence as well. That passage that I was reading earlier, that I think a couple of them that tie into this, and so... Well, I'll humor Bill. I won't go until midnight. Uh, unless my notes keep falling away. In Exodus chapter 10, just kind of jumped off the page at me. We know Exodus, don't we? The miracles, Egypt's, Israel's enslaved, and Moses goes to, freeze, to free them. And those miracles uh, are, are aimed at Pharaoh so that he'll let the people go. So Belkinus, once and for all, Pharaoh, God is God, not you. But in chapter 10, it says, I think this is after the hail. And it stopped Pharaoh, hardened his heart. Then it says in chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may perform these signs of mine among them. And that you may tell in the hearing of your son... And of your grandson, how I made a mockery of the Egyptians, and how I performed my signs among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. 
Those miracles were not done just for Pharaoh. They were done to instill confidence for the people of Israel that God was in control. That's why Peter and John, the rest of the apostles, had confidence. They had been with Christ and they knew. And that's what we need to have, is that same level of confidence so that we'll proclaim his word. You see, in John chapter 14, there's a passage. John chapter 14, it's this blue marker here. John chapter 16, excuse me. He's talking again about sending to them the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16. He says that he's going. He says in verse 7, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he comes, the Spirit of truth will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you. What is to come? He will glorify me. And that's where all of this started several weeks ago. That's how we glorify Christ, by proclaiming his word. You see, as we said last week, the miracles didn't persuade people to become a Christian. They just said that there's something going on here. They brought wonder and amazement among the minds of the people when they saw those miracles. But it was Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God is at hand. And he sent his disciples Go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what? Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. On Pentecost, what did they do? The miracles were just gotten their, getting their attention. But it was the spoken word that Peter and James and John, all the rest of the apostles, were proclaiming on that day that pricked in their hearts those who on Pentecost, and they obeyed the gospel. And as we read further through the book of Acts, we see those various same things, that it was the spoken word, the primacy of the word of God. I think it's in chapter 5, it talks about even the number of disciples grew to be about 5,000. In chapter 6, even priests were becoming obedient To the word, not to the miracles, but to the word that was delivered. Why? Because they recognized Peter and the apostles as having been with Jesus. And so as we spend time with Jesus in the Gospels and get acquainted with his life, we'll have confidence. As we read the word of God from Genesis to Revelation, we see God's hand in all of this and it all ties together. And that gives us confidence. To go to our brothers and sisters, to help them as we reprove, rebuke, and exhort. But it also gives us confidence to go to our neighbor. So that when we're having that conversation across the wall, or we get out in the street and we're talking to them, or wherever our neighbor is from us, and we develop that relationship, at some point in time we've got to move that relationship of friendship to saying, have you thought about What's going to happen in the future? Oh, you mean in retirement? No. I mean the future. 
Oh, you mean with the new administration? No, 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 no. When Jesus comes. Because if the Lord were to come right now, do you know nothing doubting that you'd go to be with him in heaven? No. What if they say yes? Say, well, good, great. Tell me your story. Then we can find out. When Kathy and I went to Kenya several years ago, we didn't ask people if they were Christians. Because if you grow up in a so-called Christian nation, you just automatically think, well, this Christian nation, I've heard that all my life. Uh, my, you know, my parents were Christians or my grandfather was a Christian. You, yeah, I'm a Christian. No, it doesn't happen that way. You make a decision. Jeremiah chapter 31 will tell you about that decision. You make a decision because it's based on knowledge. It's based on faith. But as we continue on and walk, we, we say, well, let's talk about that. Tell me your story. So I get to know your story. And if you see the discrepancy of when, yeah, I was driving down the road and I was feeling kind of bad. And, you know, I just had to, you turn the radio on and some preacher was talking. He said, yeah, just, and I heard this one on TV years and years ago. Pat Robertson did say, lay your hand on the TV and pray with me. And Jesus will come into your heart. And wouldn't you know it, he'd say, and I've, the Spirit's told me that several people did this. And you're a Christian now. That's not what the Bible says. They'll say, pray the sinner's prayer. Show me the sinner's prayer in the Bible and maybe I'll pray. And they always go to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If you confess is made with the mouth and you, that Jesus is Lord and so you're saved. Paul was talking to Christians. He wasn't giving an evangelistic dissertation on how to become a Christian. Oh, he did mention something in chapter 6 about that. In the end of chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, he said, But thanks be to God that though you were servants of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became servants of righteousness. What was that form of teaching? Well, he's talked about it in chapter 3, mid-chapter 3, about justification by faith. He pointed out Abraham and David, two, Two pillars in the Jewish community, how they were saved by faith, reckoned as righteous. Not of something that was their due, but their faith. They believed God and it was reckoned to them as righteousness. And so in chapter 5, he says, therefore, having been justified by faith, he said we're justified by faith. But at the end of that, he's talking, said some might say, well, wait a minute, this grace thing you're talking about, Paul's going to get people carried away and they'll sin. And okay. May it never be. Do you not know, you know that we should do that? Let me flip over there to Romans chapter 6 because I butchered that quote. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be with him in the likeness of his resurrection. Paul would say, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you who have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Galatians chapter 3 verses 26 and 27. And then as we're studying Peter on Sunday mornings, and we'll get to this chapter, this verse in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3, he talks about baptism. 
And he says, looking back to Noah, my words and prefacing it, verse 20, who were once disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. So eight people were saved in the ark. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Why do I believe that baptism is instrumental in faith in saving us from sin? Well, Paul said it washes away your sins. But Peter says right here, baptism now saves you. If it's good enough for Peter, it's good enough for me. But how does it save us? Just like it saved, faith saved Noah, it put him and his family in the ark. And baptism puts us into Christ. Why? Because we're baptized into Christ. Into his possession. Into the likeness of his death. Into the light that we might be raised in the likeness of his resurrection. And when we really believe that, it'll be easy to confront our friends. And it won't be a confrontational in your face. Oh, you're lost going to hell if you don't obey the gospel. No, it'll be very kind, very confident, very compassionate. It'll say, hey, what if the Lord were to come right now? What if the Lord were to come right now? Do you know nothing doubting that you'd go to be with heaven? Yes, tell me your story. Oh, my story differs a little bit. May I share with you my story? Okay. Or if they say, well, I, I don't know. Would you like to know? Because you can have confidence. You see, John said in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, I've written to you that you may know that you have eternal life. So we can have that confidence. The miracles that God did to Pharaoh for Moses and his, grand, his sons and grandsons and all of Israel to know that God was God. And he was more powerful than them all. The miracles that Jesus did were to attest to the signature of God that he was God's son. The miracles that Peter and John and the rest of the apostles did were to attest to the words that they were preaching, that they were from God. That the tomb was empty. Their confidence came from spending time with Jesus. And we can have that same confidence. And so then we will go into all the world. We will preach the gospel to all creation. We will go across the street. We will go down the down the street. We will talk kindly with people that we run into. And we may be just like an Andrew. I may not feel confident I can teach myself, but I don't have to say, and I just heard something, and you've got to hear this. I've got this friend who just really opened the word of God to me, and I just want you to hear it. Because Peter, that's what Andrew did. He went to his brother. Come, we found the Messiah. John chapter 1. That's what it's all about. It's not confronting until it's confronting. And we're not going to grow. God's church is not going to grow from us doing his work. If we're not confronting. Lovingly, gently, but effectively. Oh, it may come from others coming to Orlando. There may be missionaries that will come to the United States to evangelize a world, a nation that once had a lot of number of believers. Do we want to be on the side of God? Are we going to stand with confidence and faith and proclaim his word? That's what God's challenged us to do, to confront, because that's the nature of the word of God. Well, it's not midnight, but I don't think I have anything more to say. But I'm glad you're here today. 
How are you and the Lord doing? Do you know nothing doubting? That if he were to come right now, that you'd go to be with him in heaven? Think about it. If you don't have confidence, then maybe you need to do something about it to develop that confidence. The invitation is yours. If you have a reason to respond to Jesus, won't you please come to Jesus while together we stand and while we sing?